This is Bob Ambrogi, and welcome to episode number 50 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers and is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and to the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. This is Bob Ambrogi. I am the host of This Week in Legal Blogging, also a publisher of my own blog called Law Sites. And today on This Week in Legal Blogging, I am very pleased to have as my guest, Louis Vajos, partner in the tax practice at Rivkin Radler and author of the newly minted blog Tax Slaw, that's T-A-X-S-L-A-W, where the motto is, where those hungry for tax knowledge come to chow down. Lou, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. As we speak today, uh, literally, you are uh, brand new uh, at having launched this blog, but you are in it by no means new to blogging yourself. So uh, before we start talking about all of that, I wonder if you could just kind of first tell us about yourself, tell us about your practice and what you do. Sure. I work primarily with closely held businesses. Uh, There's one of those clients calling right now. Yeah, that's one of those <laughs> clients calling right now, in fact. Closely held businesses, they may be family owned. They don't necessarily have to be. The business will typically represent the single most valuable asset in those owners' future gross estates, let's say. A large part of what I do is help them get started, help them along the way. When the time comes for them to sell their assets, their business, or to dispose of it among family members, I'm involved with that as well. So it's very much, you might say, a holistic approach where tax, corporate, and uh, ultimately estate planning all seem to merge. And that is pretty much reflective of my practice. It makes me think you must be a part counselor as well as lawyer uh, if you're dealing with uh, family members and helping them uh, work through business issues. Is that is that something that you have to encounter a lot? Often enough. I mean, it's funny. Initially, when I started out, it's something that I resisted, thinking that really is something for you all to decide. It's a business call. But then you find that people, once they're comfortable with you, they start asking you what others have done, as if you know, one situation is exactly comparable to another. But I think they find some comfort in getting a sense of what other families have done, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And it's just a way of, I suppose, solidifying what they've already decided upon doing or or not. Uh, so yes, uh, I, I, I am holding hands quite often. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. So uh, you, as we are speaking, like yesterday, I think it was, you formally announced the launch of this new blog, and you've, you've got a couple of posts up there, but you're not at all new to blogging. So I wonder if you could kind of tell us the history of how, how uh, your history of blogging and how it is that you came to launch this new blog. Well, sure. I mean, I, I started writing for different law journals, uh, uh, gosh, so many years ago now, I couldn't even tell you how many, maybe 20 years ago, and doing a lot of CPE-type courses, CLE courses for the Bar Association, CPA Society, and that took a fair amount of writing as well. And eventually, that that teaching inspired me, you might say, to consider using a different vehicle for getting my my passion for tax out there. Uh, yes, I use those words in this. <laughs> <laughs> often get, I, do, I wasn't going to say anything. I was anticipating you're going in that direction, so I figured I might as well do it now. Uh, but it's true. And, and so probably around 12 or 13, 2012 or 2013, which is right after we had some crazy changes in the tax laws, I started writing a blog. 
and uh, it was weekly, and I have continued it weekly since then. And the tax laws are forever being mangled by one Congress or another, it seems. No, uh, they are constantly changing, more so in recent memory than ever before, good and bad. And there in that, it makes it more difficult for folks to plan around what the statute actually says, because it's constantly, it, it's, it's a moving target. So part of it is teaching people general principles, what they should be looking for. That's really aimed at the layperson for the most part. Occasionally, I will pull out a recent decision, a ruling from the IRS, whether it's a published ruling, a revenue ruling, or a private letter ruling, proposed regulations or regs once they've been finalized. And I will try to walk people through that, how it got to where it is so that they understand the background. It sometimes turns into a lengthy blog because, again, you're trying to fill in the, 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 the pieces. So step by step, you're taking whoever the reader may be to a better understanding of how the IRS got to where it is, how the court got to where it is. It's not just the final decision. Like I said, I, I was... <laughs> somewhat hesitant about it at first, uh, somewhat anxious about it at first, but it became very much second nature. And that teaching aspect of it that I described earlier in front of an audience, now a much different type of audience, but the same the same goal, at least insofar as I'm concerned, getting that uh, lesson across to whoever the reader may be. So if that case was relevant to their situation, maybe they'll think about it. If that regulation is applicable to them, they'll think to ask whoever their professional may be about it. Yeah. That blog that you were writing for all of those years uh, and uh, uh, that you're not writing anymore, I mean, that, that came about because you have changed firms, right? I mean, is that the, yes. pretty much yes. the reason? So, yes. so uh, that, that blog uh, still uh, can be found uh, out there in cyberspace, uh, but it you're, is, not, you're it not, is not writing it anymore. Yeah, no, no. Uh, was there, was there um, a reason that you didn't, just take it with you. I mean, you were the principal author of that yeah. uh, that former I'm, blog. Yeah, uh, I, I, I have about between 450 and 500 pieces out there. Yeah. I, not that I didn't ask, so... They liked it so much, they wanted to keep it. Well, it hasn't been updated since I left. Yeah, I noticed Which is that. fine, but folks are still going to it. Occasionally, I'll still make reference to, to something there because it's still applicable. Yeah. I'm told not to make too many links to that because <laughs> it's... <laughs> another firm's <laughs> website. But I mean, folks who, who know me are aware of its, uh, uh, of its existence and they do track it down. Again, it's a resource. Uh, something that I like to do is to write for two audiences at once, if you will. Yeah. One that I think is more accessible, the actual text of the blog, the, the, the piece itself. But then the footnotes. I mean, the footnotes are where I put the most effort probably because, or the end notes, I should say. You want people to know where you got what you're saying or to back up what it is you're saying. So I'll have sites to the legislation, sites to committee reports, to the uh, treasury decisions on, on uh, the issuance of a final reg where the service is explaining why they rejected certain comments from the tax public and why they accepted others. Again, I'm really big on legislative history. Yeah. Uh, I love history, first of all, but 
this also ties in very nicely with what I do as a living. It's interesting you mentioned the footnotes only because I, I was going to ask you about that because this is now episode 50 of, of this podcast. I've talked to some 50 lawyers who, who do blogs. I've been blogging for years. I talk to a lot of lawyers who do blogs in the normal course of, of my own activities. And I feel like there's a general consensus that footnotes in blog posts are a no-no, but you don't feel that way. No, I never even thought about it. I mean, I, I'm not, it's funny. I've never thought of myself as a blogger in the sense of there's a model. I, I do what I have to do to convey what it is I'm trying to convey. And if it's a piece that's primarily my opinion on something, there 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 will be fewer endnotes. Yeah. If there's a discussion that may run for two or three posts, uh, for example, if I'm tackling a particular subject matter where there's been an inordinate amount of activity, at least in my practice, then I will take the time to, to spell it out, to develop the subject matter over those two or three posts, and then to give the reader a way to find the resources themselves. So right. there, there, there are links. There will be links to, again, primarily primary sources. Uh, I, I don't, you know, quote much from other people unless, you know, a really well-known source, for example, if it's Bitger or uh, someone of that uh, stature in the tax world, then I will link to something like that. But otherwise, it's primary sources, it's the cases, it's, it's yeah. the service, it's the legislative history. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I don't mean to suggest there is any right or wrong model for oh, how no. to write a blog post at all, because that's that's kind of the, the beauty of blogs is is you, you make them what you want to make them. Along those lines, as you having done it for was it since 2013, I think, at the other blog, up until 2021, and then switching over to start a new blog. Mm -hmm. What, if anything, are you doing different with this blog than what you're doing with the prior blog? I can't say that I'm doing anything differently. Uh, I'm putting in the same amount of time. I mean, in the sense, once I have finished one blog, I start thinking about the other. I'm, I'm always reading, right? The first thing I do in the morning is see what the tax rags have said, if I can say that. Yeah. What what news there is out there, what rulings or decisions have been issued, and uh, sort of like the advance sheets, if you will. And I'm reading those, I'm setting aside items that I think would be useful in the blog, or topics that, that may be of interest to people. Sometimes I pick exactly the right one, and then there are times where I think, what's wrong with these folks? I aren't more people reading this one. But that's been my process from the beginning. If anything, by now, I think it's more organized than it was initially. I set aside a number of potential subject matters, and then uh, come Friday, I, I really start to, to hone in on a couple of them. And then over the weekend is where I uh, start to write. And it's been that same pattern of behavior, you might say. It's probably some scientific psychological word for that type of behavior, but I, I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> I would deny having any familiarity with such things. So that's it. It really yeah. has not changed in that sense. Yeah. That was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about, I was curious about your, you you bring some humor to your posts. I mean, you're, and uh, again, I, I think some, some lawyers are uncomfortable with bringing humor to writing about the law, but you, you seem to be very comfortable with that and seem to enjoy it. Was that always the case? Was that always your writing style or is that something that evolved? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's something that has always been the case. I, I sort of put myself out there. There's not a different persona on the blog than there is in a meeting with a client, for better or worse sometimes. 
uh, or a meeting with the service. Uh, you know, you get what you see, as they say. Uh, God help you. Uh, but but seriously, folks, I, I, I find that at times the subject matter, again, lends itself to uh, reference to a movie line or a reference to, to a line from a novel. Uh, some more serious than others. Uh, a lot of quotes I could tell you from the Bible, uh, both, you know, the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, there's always something in there about tax. You know, I mean, you, you can go back to, to uh, God, I always say it's the first tax that was imposed. And I'm trying to remember in which book it was, if it was uh, uh, Leviticus or where, where uh, Moses is basically imposing a tax to pay for the clothing for the first class of priests, you might say, you know, his brother and his sons. And you say, okay, everyone has to contribute toward this. And tax has been part of our society since forever. And there are times where it can be extremely funny at times as in today's environment where it's extremely not funny. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also, and I think it comes through in the blog as well, a big social contract type thinker, you might say. And that guides much of what I write. Yeah. For better or worse, I mean, I try to couch it most times in some sort of humor so that I'm not offending anybody. That's not my intention. Again, the idea is to get ideas across both sides of an issue, which is why I like when I discuss a case to present, again, the services side, the the, the taxpayer side, yeah. and how often both of them have missed the mark and the court comes out totally differently. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's humor in much of that, yeah. and you just need to put it out there and not be afraid of using it. Yeah. And when you say social contract, what do you mean by that? That, that you're trying to talk more about the, the implications of, of tax policy? And yes, very, very much so the implications of tax policy. I mean, taxes really uh, filter through everything that we do. And yeah. I mean, there have been statements about taxation since forever again, but Without it, at least in this hypothetical evolution of society, right, where, where, where would we be? I mean, it's up there with the development of government and uh, division of labor and what have you. It, it, it pays for, and I don't remember which celebrity, it may have been a celebrity, I think, who said this, no, I'm glad to pay taxes. It means I'm living in a civilized society. Right, yeah. what I pay for for culture, for for schools, yeah. the thinking that you sometimes encounter among clients, included among taxpayers, that it's my money I earned it. I yeah. don't want to pay it to the government for them to. And you know, regardless of what side of the political spectrum, and well, I'd like to still think it is a continuum there, but uh, we're seeing less of a continuum and more of two points on the end. Regardless of where you are along that spectrum. You you can't deny the necessity of paying taxes. There are necessary services that otherwise are not going to be provided. It's yeah. very much a reality and uh, the predicate, really, for society. Yeah, I, I uh, never practiced tax law, but I always treasured my tax law professor when I was in law school, who, who uh, a guy named Paul McDaniel, who now passed away, but he wrote some textbooks on tax law over the years. But he was way back when he was an advisor in the Kennedy administration. And, and But he, he taught tax from the perspective of teaching the social policy around tax. And it was really a fascinating course. And I went into the course yeah. thinking I was going to hate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in fact, I loved it. It was one of my favorite courses in, in law school. I mean, it is, it is funny 
most people's most people i had a uh, a partner once a litigator yes i rolled my eyes when i said litigator forgive me all you litigators <laughs> uh, who who once said to me a tax attorney is someone who is very good with numbers but did not have enough personality to become an accountant <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. And I've repeated it any number of times since then, always attributing to him, John, if you're listening, but that's, that's, uh, not, not entirely true in my, in my, in my case. Yeah. I, I, I love numbers. Okay. But, uh, the, the fact is that numbers are not, not necessarily the be all and end all of a tax lawyer. I mean, right. right. It's right. concepts. Right. And and those concepts are really a lot of fun to deal with. And right. once you get into what's behind them, all that much more fun. Yeah. Is you really do start to understand why laws are written a certain way and what it is they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And also to go back to that point we were talking about earlier, that it's just if you're, if you're advising closely held businesses or especially family owned businesses, there must be an awful lot that goes way beyond the numbers. I mean, even in terms of advising as to form a business, there's a lot that goes into that, I would suspect, other than just the numbers in the equation. Oh, yeah. I mean, there certainly is uh, the, the family dynamic especially on the back end, if I can say it like that. At the inception of a business, everyone's a little apprehensive, but overall positive and happy about right. what they're undertaking. Yeah, It's when the uh, fruit is ready to be picked off the tree that you start to have the issues. Uh, the children who are in the business versus those who are not in the business. Those who are in the business, one who is more adept at the business than another is. The parents' reluctance in all too many cases to take it upon themselves, because it is their responsibility, to explain today, while they're still living, why they're doing certain things, why people may be treated differently. Uh, not necessarily in terms of their share of the overall pot, but the way it's given to them, whether in trust for one problem child, let's say, as opposed to an outright transfer to another, voting interest versus a non-voting interest. I, I mean, the the permutations of those uh, scenarios, I mean, you know, just endless. It sounds like my, my, my wife always says, get get the family picture at the beginning of the vacation, because by the end of the vacation, <laughs> somebody's going to be sour. Oh, that's really good. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, one one thing uh, I, I noticed that I think is different on this blog than on your prior blog is that you've got cartoons illustrating some of your posts. Oh, is that something you're going to be doing as a regular basis or is that? You know, that's one I give credit to Lori Bloom, uh, who is our chief marketing uh, uh, person. And Lori came up with the idea. She said, you know what? There is this political artist, cartoonist who was up here on the island and has since moved down to New Orleans. And uh, I guess Lori had done some work with him previously or had some exchanges with him previously. And she approached him. Uh, would you be interested in doing something for this blog? And I'm not sure how the conversation went entirely, but she convinced him, certainly. He, he, he seemed to have been smitten by the idea, and then I was too. And it makes it lighter. It's somewhat consistent, again, with what I'm trying to do with the writing. The artwork is really cool, and he's a smart man. And, and some of the messages in there are, you know, you could write pages and pages and not convey the same message as effectively as he does with five or six words right. 
and that cartoon. You mentioned earlier, what are we doing differently from the other? Just the, the, the uh, if I can call it a physical layout where we're talking about a blog, but is very different. And mm-hmm. the presence of those cartoons, I, I think, I hope will make it more inviting to folks, less daunting. Uh, oh, it's tax. I'm not going to read that. Yeah. And did the marketing department also think of the, uh, the t-shirt giveaway? <laughs> I've got to tell you, they are <laughs> among the most creative people I've ever met. <laughs> No, seriously, it's just been a lot of fun working with them, things that I would have never thought of, things I would have been too embarrassed to try on my own. Yeah. So for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, if right now, if you go to the blog and sign up to subscribe to get it, to get the blog by email, you get you can get a free t-shirt with this wonderful artwork on it. So I had suggested Ginzu Knives, uh, but I didn't <laughs> go over too well. I don't understand why. So... Lou, uh, I'm curious um, what you feel, how, how blogging has impacted your career. I mean, you, you've been doing this for a long time. You, you left one blog behind and you're starting another blog up now. So I assume uh, you get something out of it. Other than personal satisfaction, has it helped market your practice, build your practice, build yeah. your name? Yeah, I mean, it certainly has. Although I cannot emphasize enough the personal satisfaction part of this, uh, as corny as it may sound, okay, I get phone calls from folks all the time who just want to discuss a particular item in the blog, or if a link is no longer up, if I would get them the site. And this is from attorneys. And, you know, absolutely, guys. People tell me you're giving away all the information. And I say, well, no. I, you know, and I go back to Cy Sims. That, that, uh, you know, I, I, do you know who Cy Sims was? Yes. Right? <laughs> okay, forgive me. I mean, but the educated consumer, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I'm trying to do in a sense. Uh, so I love teaching and this is part of it. And with it, I, I, mean, I, I suppose the number of calls or the number of emails that are just follow-ups uh, you know, why did you say this? Why did you do that? The ratio of those to the number of calls that have turned into work, I mean, still skewed, you know, more on the personal satisfaction side, but it has been a very effective tool for me. I like to say I don't golf. I don't do rubber chickens very well. So I like speaking in front of small professional groups. I still do that and I get a kick out of it because I like the interaction with folks. But the block has been a way for me to get my uh, practice across to people. They understand what I do because they're looking at the blog, they're reading it. The names have been changed to protect the guilty, but it's all in there. Not something that you're making up from whole cloth. It's There's some measure of actual experience reflected in there and it's hard to miss it. And I think that comes across and people find something that's relevant to their particular circumstances. Uh, Again, it's happenstance so much, right? As so much of what life is. But uh, having done it for as long as I have and having written for as many, having written rather as many posts as I have, inevitably, someone comes across something on the internet. They're Googling something, as they say. I hate when attorneys do research using Google, by the way, that's not research anyway, but, but they come across something and the article pops up and they read it and they want to follow up and it has turned into clients and, and, uh, paid work. So that's that's a good thing. It is a good thing. At the end of the day, you know, (laughs) this is, uh, this is our job. If I can call it that, it's our profession. Used to be a profession. Certainly it's skewed more toward business. Now, I suppose as so many things are, uh, whether it's medicine or anything else, 
again, for better or worse. But uh, I I enjoy that, 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 that they come in and some guilty pride there, you know? I mean, I call it guilty because I don't like to talk about that sort of thing. But people are coming because not because they were introduced by someone, you know, you have to use this guy or someone, he's a great golfer, you should right. play with him. You know, it's, they've read something substantive and they've decided based upon that, I want to speak to this guy and see if what he's written is actually present, you know, within him yeah. that he can help me. Yeah. And that's much that's more satisfying. Do you think about who you're writing it for as you're writing blog posts? Are you writing for potential clients or existing clients? Are you writing for attorneys or all of the above? You know, it very much depends on the subject matter. I mean, there are times where I'll focus on something that's clearly only for the tax professional, whether it's the attorney or the accountant. It'll be very heavy on the end notes. It'll still be, I think, a, a spoon-fed type approach. Uh, more of a narrative than assuming a base of knowledge and then going from there. I mean, there's some assumption of that, but not a lot, which is why you'll find the end notes often exceed the length of text. I don't want to break up the narrative. So those parts are going to be found at the end of, at the, end of the post. Yeah. But then there are others where, you know, you just want to write for for the general public, for the business people. And again, because my practice is closely held businesses, I guess it becomes second nature that you know what they encounter and how to present the topic to them so that it's something that's relatable. Uh, I mean, the number of times I've had folks comment, uh, you know, that's exactly my situation. It's as if you were writing it about the sale of my business or you're writing about the IRS exam that we went through. And again, that's part of social science, right? People tend to repeat patterns. Uh, we just do. We're creatures of habit, as they say. Well, this is writ large, but that makes it a very effective tool where you can, yeah. even just making up the narrative, okay? We're making up the story rather, so I can get the message across. It's based upon something that I've, or pieces of things that I have encountered in practice or working with my partners where I've been poured into something and they've had this issue, uh, you know, you borrow from here, you borrow from there to make the message again, something that folks would welcome in terms of reading it. Uh, they, they'd be amenable to reading it and hopefully understanding what's trying to be, uh, what's trying to be said. You effectively answered what was going to be my next question, which is what what advice would you give lawyers for being successful at, at blogging or, or uh, especially for lawyers who are new to it or just starting up? But but is there other advice beyond uh, beyond what you Gosh, were just saying? I, I uh, it's funny. I, I grew up one of those kids who would sit in the back always uh, back benched before I knew the word was back benched for fear of being called on or for fear of uh, having to speak. Okay. I remember when I first started public speaking, I guess you'd call it, uh, again, you know, you're sort of the person who's all hunched up like that. You don't want to be noticed, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not sure if it's a function of becoming more experienced with something or getting older and not caring as much about it, but eventually you, you, what you think is right and you make sure it's accurate. 
that's the most important part of it, right? That that you're writing something that's going to be accurate and you're not misinforming folks or giving them the wrong site to something or whatever it may be. So the point I'm trying to make, again, in a very long-winded fashion, I tend to digress sometimes. Have you noticed that? <laughs> is to get past that fear and just throw yourself into it. And eventually you do really get into it and you don't care as much in the sense of I'm going to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had people write or call and disagree with some analysis or the, the, the assessment of some issue, you know, how serious it is or not. And, you know, at first I was offended by that. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Because there are so many sides to issues, which again, as you get older, you, you do realize that. And I have found that with my practice, the same, the same thing. It's sort of, they've gone hand in hand, if you will. You bring one way of thinking into the other world, you know, from the blog into the practice and vice versa. And yeah. uh, you, you, you let go of that reluctance or that fear of being wrong, you know to to uh get your message across so yeah yeah i think i, I think that also equates with what some people might talk about as as being kind of finding your voice in blogging but it, it, it is getting over that fear that you have of how do i do this how do i present myself what what if somebody doesn't like what i write you know you you certainly get much better uh at at, at uh, doing that the longer you do it and, and the more you do it and yeah i think you just it. said it in three sentences and i wrote a paragraph and a half just now but yeah that, that's exactly <laughs> it <laughs> hey you gotta fill space you know, you know, oh okay there you go <laughs> no i'm kidding well uh Lou, we're just about at the end of our time uh but just Anything else that you'd like to mention about your blog or about blogging uh, or anything else before we wrap up here today? Gosh, you know, I mean, uh, I've run into people who say that they'll take on a speaking engagement because it's something that they haven't uh, spoken on before. They know nothing about mm-hmm. and they think it'll be. I've never done that, I swear. Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> and, and they, 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 they believe it will they'll educate themselves to and i'm sure that translates over into how many people will blog as well something that you know nothing about or haven't had experience with and then you put yourself out there as an author okay mm-hmm. don't do that is my advice I, I i've never you know you don't take on a matter that you can't handle this is no different uh if you don't have the experience for it then then don't don't do it uh, this yeah. isn't a learning, uh, a time to learn or, or to educate yourself on someone else's dime or in a circumstance where someone else will rely upon what you're saying, perhaps, right? Yeah. He's an authority. He spoke about it. He's an authority. He wrote about it. Well, guess what, folks? This is their first time. And I think that comes across because when the questions start to come up and you have no foundation off of which to uh, develop an answer, you know, to, to find the instances that you use. I, I, I like doing that. I like using examples from practice to, again, to to explain or to answer questions that folks may present, because it really is the best way. I mean, stories are something that we understand. Stories are something that we can retain. It's very different than just saying, yes, if you look at section, you know, 162M, okay, with compensation, the uh, you know, this is what, what, what is it? No, I mean, you have to take them through and, and they'll understand then what it is that the issue was because it happened 
under those circumstances, based upon this uh, set of assumptions, and uh, this was the outcome, and boy, I hope that never happens to me. I think I think yeah. uh, I think if you try to be something that you're not in blogging, that readers see through it, and you're you're not going to be very successful. I, I think that's really what it comes down to. You did it again. Empty <laughs> 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 space. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I I'd love to talk longer, but I got to stop so I can rush over and get my free T-shirt before they're all gone. But uh, I'll save you. But <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure where they're even being kept. I have to find you <laughs> in a vault somewhere. <laughs> uh, but Lou, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and I really appreciate your oh, likewise. Time Thank you guys today, and congratulations on the new blog. Uh, look forward to uh, following its development going forward. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks again to Lou Vlahos for joining me today. This is Bob Ambrosi, and uh, this was episode 50 of This Week in Legal Blogging. If you have not done so yet, please be sure to peruse our full library of shows wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you'd like to, drop us a quick rating or review while you're there. We'd appreciate it. And last but not least, head over to lexblog.com slash twilb, T-W-I-L-B, for outlines of each and every show we've done so far. On behalf of myself and everybody at Lexblog, thanks for listening.